What are you saying? You want to just dismiss and go home? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> who was that? Who was? Who said that? Amber, was that you? Rocky, you rub it off on too many people around here. I'm going to not even say a word. I'm just going to go on. Whatever I say, I'm going to get in trouble, so I'm just going to do it. If you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. And we'll get there in a minute, so just bear with me. We'll, we'll be there in a moment. But today we're going to be doing, talking about something that's a little bit different, having a makeover. But this makeover is a little bit different from what we're used to seeing on TV and so forth. This makeover... It's from the inside out. That's the kind of makeover we're talking about today. I like the little story about a lady named Jane who was taken to the hospital to have an operation. She was scared of dying, so she began to pray. She said, Lord, is this it? Am I going to die? The Lord spoke back to her and said, No, Jane. According to my records, you've got another 30 years to live before you die. Realizing she had much time, Jane decided to make the most of it. While she was in the hospital, she decided to undergo a full makeover. She had liposuction. She had tummy tuck. She had a nose job. She had a facelift. She even dyed her hair a new color. On the day that she left the hospital, she was struck by a bus while crossing the street and killed. As you can imagine, Jane was a little bit upset because of the news she had got earlier. So when she stood before the Lord, she said, Lord... You said I had another 30 years to live. What happened? The Lord said, Jane, is that you? Now, I, I want you to know that I borrowed the title of this message today from a TV series called The Extreme Makeover. How many have seen this show? Now, I've got to confess to you, I don't think I've ever seen the, the whole show. I've watched it a few times at the end and caught those things. And Just in case you're not familiar, let me, let me bring up what the show's about. If you've never seen it, it's a, this is a show where people who are unhappy with their appearance for different reasons apply to the producers to undergo free plastic surgery, cosmetic dentistry, to change their appearance totally. They also receive coaching in physical fitness as far as trying to get in shape, hairstyling, makeup, clothing. During the process, they are kept isolated from their family and friends, and each episode ends with the person that had the maker come up, coming out onto the stage and being recognized. Wow, it's you know, such of a difference. It's pretty amazing what medical science can do today in our world. But I want to talk to you today about a makeover that's totally different. In fact, it's exactly the opposite of what we just mentioned there in that, that passage, that, uh, that uh, story about the, the show that's on TV. I guess it's still on TV. I, I don't watch it too up, but I have seen it a few times. But anyway, when you look better on the outside, a lot of times you do feel better. I mean, it just, it just makes you feel good. But an external change in appearance is no guarantee that you'll experience any kind of an internal change. And today we're going to dwell on the internal change and see what can happen because of Jesus Christ in our lives and how that is so much more important than what we look like on the outside. I want to talk to you about the extreme makeover, an inside job, if you will. God has been involved in giving makeovers for centuries. 
But these are makeovers from the inside. God is more interested in changing you from the inside than from the outside. We like to look at ourselves. We don't like what we look like a lot of times in the mirror. As we get older, some of us begin to wrinkle a little bit, and some of us gain a little weight, and some of us, you know, just have different things we, we would change if we could. But this kind of makeover begins on the inside of every one of us. And there's not a person sitting here today that if you haven't already had this makeover, you can't have it. I mean, it's waiting for you. And by the way, it doesn't cost you a dime. Oh, but it does cost you something. It'll cost you everything you've got. You say, I thought you said it wouldn't cost a dime. It'll cost all of you to get this makeover if you don't have it yet. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this. This is from the prophet Samuel. Once made, he made this profound observation about God, if you will. Listen to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. This is not the verse we're going to read, so bear with me. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What a great parallel that is. And that's true. We look at somebody and say, this person's more successful because I can tell the car they drive, the house they live in, or whatever it may be. And God says, I don't look at the outside. I look at what's on the heart. I look at what's inside of a person that makes them a true and different individual. A facelift will eventually fail. A tummy tuck will come untucked. A wrinkle remover, I don't know if it will or not, I'm just, I just said that. A wrinkle remover will only last so long, it will delay the inevitable sooner or later. But when God transforms someone from the inside, it lasts for eternity. This will never go back. It's always going to be the new makeover. These following words that we're about to read were written by a man who was ambushed from above on the road to Damascus. If you don't know him, his name happens to be Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was on the road to Damascus to destroy people like you and I, Christians, followers of Christ, and he was intent on destroying them. But on that road, he had a remarkable experience happen to him. The Bible tells us that a light shone down from heaven, and he fell on his knees in the middle of the road. Now, picture this. This is not in an automobile somewhere. This is in the middle of the road. He was going to Jerusalem, uh, to uh, Damascus to stamp out this thing called Christianity. You and I, he would, in our days, he would be called a terrorist. No questions about it. He was on his road to destroy, to put to death, to kill, to lock you up, or whatever it is, anybody that claimed to be a, a Christian. You and I. He was bent on doing this because he thought this new movement was destroying the Jewish religions. And he was set, we've got to stop this. Sort of sounds like our country right now, doesn't it? <laughs> but anyway, let's move along. We won't talk about that. But he was on the road to destroy this movement called Christianity. And on the road, he met somebody. Now, he was just walking along. I'm sure he was whistling the tune, probably the Andy Griffith tune. And just, just as he's walking down this road, and all of a sudden this light shines down around him, and this voice spoke to him. 
and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he heard it. The guys with him didn't hear it. But Paul heard it clearly and loudly. And he fell to his knees, the Bible says. And he began to worship Jesus Christ. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? That was Paul's makeover that day. That was Paul's beginning of a new life. It changed Paul's life forever. He was headed to destroy people like you and I. Now we read in the Bible a short time later, he is one of you and I. In fact, sort of a funny story in the book of Acts talks about just a short time after this that he was in waiting for a place. He didn't know what to do. He was waiting for somebody to tell him, what do I do next? And God sent somebody to him. said, I want you to go to Paul and talk to him and welcome him into the family of God and so forth. And so, you know, now put yourself in his position. Here's this known terrorist, knows he's trying to destroy people like you and I, and yet God says, I want you to go to him and talk to him. Open his eyes so he can see what has just happened to him. He doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is he fell on his face during the, at the, in the middle of the road. He's blinded now. He can't see. He needs somebody to take him by the hand and lead him. And he's waiting for somebody to show him something. What is this? What's happening to me? And so he goes in the room and knocks on the door. Now, remember, Paul's a terrorist for all practical purposes. Can't you imagine he walks up there and the Bible says he put his hand on his head. And I've just... I just sort of imagine he puts his hand on and says, Paul, is that you? Has, has something happened to you? And Paul begins to tell him the story. Now, I use that story to show you how drastically that Paul changed on that road to Damascus. And I'm looking at people right here. Maybe you didn't change on a road somewhere. But everyone in this room that claims the name of Jesus Christ changed drastically. Every one of us. You say, well, no, my life didn't change a whole lot. Be careful. It may not have changed on the outside a whole lot, but if your life didn't change on the inside, something's wrong. Something's wrong with your salvation. In my case, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wasn't a very nice young man growing up as far as my temper and everything else. Don't comment on that, you group over here. I saw y'all looking that way. So. It's, it, isn't it bad when Rocky even contaminates our visitors? I mean, just, I mean, just, he just, it just rubs off from him. <laughs> oh, <was> that, <laughs> it, you passed it? I've got to see those results. <laughs> Isn't it fun being in church? I mean, you ought to have fun in church. But back to the story. Put them aside for a moment. Paul was on his road to destroy people like you and I. Literally. He had the orders in his hand that he could lock them up. He could lock children up. He could lock parents up. He could put you to death if he so chose. But something happened on that road, and he didn't even know what happened yet. And it changed his life forever. Let's read these words together. 
Second Corinthians chapter 5. Would you stand with me as we read these words as we honor the reading of God's Word? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. Now listen, this is Paul describing it. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage you've given us. And now, Lord, we just ask as we expound upon it for just a few moments that, Lord, you would open our hearts and our minds. Lord, we see what you said so clearly, so precisely. And, Lord, there's no question about what we should be. We should be living our lives for Christ today, each and every one of us as Christians. Lord, open our hearts that we may be more like you in everything we do. Lord, guide this church that this church will be more like you in everything we do. That, Lord, there would be nothing done if it wasn't your will. Lord, teach us, guide us, direct us, and like Paul, force us to be what you want us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. That's the change we're looking at this morning. That's the makeover that will make a difference in your life. Internal makeovers are a lot better than external makeovers. I'm sure we've got people in here that have had makeovers before. I don't happen to be one of them. Just, I was naturally born this good looking. But it, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in a little bit. But, but people have makeovers. And, and let's face it, guys, it's pro, let's hope it's better, more the ladies than it is the guys. I'm not even going to comment on that. I better leave that alone. I could see myself getting in trouble real quick right there. But anyway, a facelift will eventually fall. A tummy tuck will come untucked. I mean, all these things will not last forever. But when God touched Paul on the road to Damascus, that one's not coming undone. Now, Paul was not known as a good-looking guy, if you read history books and things. But something changed in his life to make him different than anything he'd ever been. And he was never the same since. But there's two words I think are as important as any two words in the Bible. Look up in verse uh, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, did you catch it? In Christ. It doesn't matter what you do otherwise. If you're not in Christ, this doesn't apply to you. Wait a minute, that's awful judgmental, isn't it? I'm sorry, that's what God said. He's talking to Christians. When you're in Christ, you're in the family of God. If you're not in Christ, you're not in the family. Now, I know that sounds almost harsh. That doesn't mean you can't be in the family. But just because you were born into a Christian family does not make you a Christian. Just because you've gone to this church most of your life does not make you a Christian. Just because you go to any church, Christian church, does not make you a Christian. There has to be a time in your life when you invited Christ to come into my life. 
And that's the difference. And that's why he brings out those two words. And I believe there is two as important words as there are in the whole Bible. If anyone is in Christ, it said. Did you catch that? Anyone who is in Christ, it makes a difference. Let me pause here and say it's important to remember these truths apply again. Not to people everywhere, but to people who are in Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. If you've never met Jesus Christ, this message is not for you in that sense. But let me remind you also that anyone can become in Christ if you desire to be. There's another word that's very important in verse 17. If, he says, you're in Christ. So he's not talking to just the multitudes He's saying, if you're in Christ, then this makeover is for you. And you've had it. You can do it. These four truths are evidence of God's extreme makeovers in our life. Number one, this is the inside story. Number one, I have a new purpose for living. If you don't have a new purpose for living since something happened in your life, something's wrong with your salvation. There's a lot of people in our churches today that they come to church, they participate, they sing, they do all the functions of a church, but they do not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. You say, well, how can that happen? Because sometimes we begin to think that, well, I go to church, that must make me a pretty good guy. I'm a Baptist, that makes me a good guy. I do all these things. I even read my Bible every once in a while. That makes me pretty good. So I must be a Christian. I'm around Christians, I sing with Christians, I talk to Christians, I must be one of them. That, as used to be said, that doesn't make you any more a Christian than parking your car in the garage, than, excuse me, than standing in your garage makes you a car. It just doesn't happen. You've got to know Jesus Christ personally. Well, how in the world can I do that? God's up there, I'm down here, how can I, how can I possibly... God says we will know him. We can know him. So the extreme makeover is an inside job. If you're in Christ, you can claim these benefits of your extreme makeover. These truths apply to everyone in this room. Now, if you're not a child of God this morning, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that can happen real quick. Because did you catch? It's for all people, Paul wrote. All people. Now, I know we've got some today that says, well, you've, you know, there's just a certain amount that's going to be saved. And if you're not one of them, then you're just out of luck. That's not what Paul just said. Watch what he says. Because we judge thus, this is verse 14, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. We have churches, and even Baptist churches today, that are preaching, teaching, that if there's only a certain number that get to go to heaven. It's called Calvinism. There's only certain people that get to go to heaven. They're just the chosen ones. The rest of us have nothing to do with it. We can't, we're not going. That's not what the Bible just said. And I don't know about you, but I believe the Bible more than I do those other books in my office. Because they were man-written. This one's written by God. Listen to his words. This is God's words writing to us. And he died for all that those who should live, those who, 
Let's start that over. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them. Paul says every human being on the face of this earth can have this relationship with Jesus Christ. Every one of us. Nobody's restricted. If that verse right there is wrong, then folks, this whole Bible can't be counted on. We can take it and tear the pages out and throw it in the fire. It doesn't do any good. But listen again what is said. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Okay? And he died for all. Did you catch that? I don't care what some people teach. It doesn't matter. What matters is what does God say. And that's God saying that. God spoke through that. The first thing we can have is a new purpose for living. Now, I can only speak for myself, but I know when I got saved as an older teenager, right around 20 years old, my life changed drastically because I wasn't a Christian. And it changed. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I hadn't. In fact, if, if God had told me that one day I'd be a preacher, I'd probably say, uh-uh, I don't want this life. I'll go back to what I used to have. I've seen some preachers, and I've never met a preacher I like, let alone want to be one of them. But God began to change the inside of me and began to work in me through a lot of people. Now, it wasn't, I'm not, it wasn't on my own. God began to develop things and use me. And then one day I married a Christian lady. I mean, we, our family was so opposite, it was unbelievable. But I saw something in her family that, wow, I like that. I'll never forget the first time I really met her. They got together at Christmas. I mean, uncles and aunts and cousins and enemies and everybody else came over for dinner. I mean, just hundreds of them. And there's one thing they did that I, I thought, this is crazy. They walked up and hugged me. We never hugged in my family, or very much anyway. And her uncle started hugging me. I'm like, whoa, 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 back off, guy. <laughs> I'm a guy. You don't do that. But you know something? I liked it. Because the first time in my, fam- my life, I felt they were caring about you. They cared about you. Yes, I was uncomfortable with it. I mean, her brother, which is about my age, we were playing football and baseball together. First time at, we got married, I walked in, he gave me a big hug. Whoa, back, back off, buddy. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but that's a, oh, it's so neat. To, and we've got huggers in our church. I can name some, but I'm not going to do it. But I mean, but it, it's so special. When you're in the house of God, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, whatever. God just uses that to bring us together. We ought to be a hugging congregation, a loving congregation, a showing congregation, a helping congregation. Why? Because we've been changed on the inside. Every one of us have. Second Corinthians 5.15 that we just read says, And he died for all, that those who should live no longer for themselves. Did you catch that? But for him who died for them and rose again. Who's he talking about? Jesus, obviously. If I were to ask you, what is your purpose for living today? What's your purpose for living? How would you answer that? Just think about it. You don't have to speak out. Just, just think about it. How would you answer that? Many people just get up every morning. They go to the job they don't like. 
They make money they can't save. They buy things they can't afford to impress people they don't even like. Do you have an eternal purpose in your life? Are you just playing the game of life? That's what separates the Christians from the non-Christians. Once a lady was walking through a zoo. When she looked into a chimpanzee enclosure, she was surprised to see three of the chimps gathered in a corner tossing dice. She went to the zookeeper and says, somebody threw some dice into the chimps' cage. They walked back, and sure enough, the three chimps were tossing dice and jumping up and down when they won and so forth. And the lady says, aren't you going to do something about it? I said, you need to take away those dice. The zookeeper says, nah, they're just playing for peanuts. But, you know, there's a lot of Christian church, there's a lot of church member that are just playing for peanuts. They're not putting any thought into what they're doing or why they're doing it or how they're doing it. They just have, when Jesus comes into your life, it makes your purpose changes in life. All of a sudden, my desire is not for me. It's for Jesus. Or it should be. And we begin to find ways and think, what can I do to serve him better? Maybe it's singing the praise team. Maybe it's singing the choir for Christmas coming up before too long. Maybe it's teaching Sunday school classes. There's all kinds of opportunities. Well, but I'm just not good at that. How do you know? How do we know we're not? There's people that live outside these walls. What about stopping witnessing when on the street corner in Walmart or where we be? I'm looking at Miss Kathy here, and she told me not too long was I think I was taking her to the doctor's appointment or hospital, whatever it was. And she said that one morning she was waiting on the bus, the IHOP, is that what it's called? The IHOP bus that runs in town, and she was waiting on it at a bus stop, and this guy was sitting there, and she just struck up a conversation with him. And they talked a little bit, and then she started telling him about Jesus. Now, I don't know if anything happened. He didn't do anything, did he? He just got on the bus and left. He did that. <laughs> but it's what I'm saying is we have opportunities every day of the week to share Christ. And most of us, don't take them. We don't take it. That's what Jesus has said we're a church here for. That's why this church exists. Did you realize that this church does not exist for you and I today? This church exists for people that have never darkened the doors of this church. Because you're supposed to be Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian, it, may, it exists for you too. <laughs> but if you are, it's not here for that reason. God put us here as the body of Christ in Copper's Cove, Robertson Avenue, to go out and bring those people in to get them to share with the love and the joy and the fun that we have in a church. Let's move along. Do you have an eternal purpose, or are you just playing the game of life? Is that basically what we're doing, just playing for peanuts? Jesus has come into your life to give you purpose for living. So that you will no longer live for yourself, but live to him, Paul said in that passage we just read, who died for you. One of the earliest English novels, in fact, most of you have probably heard, how many of you heard the book, heard of the book, or maybe read the book, Robinson Crusoe? Y'all know that book? You've heard, heard it? Okay. Written by Daniel Defoe in 1719. He's one of the first English language books out. Here's the original title of this book. Now, we say Robinson Crusoe. We know that. 
But here's the original title. The Life and Most Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe of York Mariner, who lived eight and twenty years all alone in an uninhabited island on the coast of America, lying near (coughs) the mouth of the great river Orunoga, I guess. I don't have to pronounce it. Having been cast on shore by the shipwreck, wherein all the men perished by himself, with an account how he was at last strangely delivered by pirates, written by himself. You'd have to have a book to put the title in. In the story, if you know Robinson Crusoe, Robinson Crusoe was rescued by a native from death of, by cannibals. He named the native Friday. Crusoe taught Friday how to speak English and even led him to Christ out of gratitude for saving his life. Friday became Crusoe's lifelong servant and companion. Friday never left him. In fact, every time Crusoe Crusoe saw him coming, he'd say, thank God it's Friday. Now, I added the last part. I don't know if that's right, but But he probably did. Here comes Friday, and so... That's where we got that term. Thank goodness it's Friday. We should be like Friday. We were lost and dying, and Jesus rescued us from eternal death. Every one of us. If you're a child of God this morning, Jesus has rescued you from eternal death. You and I were destined to go to hell, to spend eternity in hell. And God, through his love for us, even while we were sinners, sent Jesus to die on the cross to buy us back through salvation. How can you not serve a God like that? How can you not want to be a part of His movement? How can you not see what's going on? I mean, we have to deal with things of ISIS, literally chopping Christians' heads off today. And yet we're told that thousands and thousands of these Christians refuse to yield to that new deny there's a God, and they would rather go to their death than deny Jesus Christ. And yet, over in this country, we come to our comfortable churches, we sit in cushioned pews, we have air conditioner this week, <laughs> it has been out a little bit, it's fixed now. I mean, we get, we're comfortable. We've got blankets to cover up with you if you get cold. I mean, just, we're so soft. And yet these people across the world are literally literally losing their heads because they claim to be a Christian and are willing to do it. Something's wrong with America, folks. We've lost the desire for God in our lives and in our churches. Oh, what a difference it makes. The second thing we see real quick. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 that we read, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. When you become a Christian, you start looking at people differently. You start seeing people differently. Now, I know we cut up a lot around here. Even in the message, I, I do it. I just, It's just, I can't stop. It just comes out of me. It's just fun having a good time. When you come to church and you, you have people you love and fellowship with and want to be around, and it just we just have a good time here. But let's don't lose focus of what we're here for. 
We're not here to have a good time, to have eating meetings in the fellowship hall, to have breakfast and everything we have. All those are great, but that's not why we're here. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ to this area outside our doors. That's why we exist. This church exists for those people that have never stepped in this building and perhaps never will unless somebody tells them about Jesus Christ. For instance, you no longer look at people from a worldly viewpoint. The world tends to lump people on to kinds of categories. Rich, poor, smart, dumb, pretty, ugly, winners, losers. The world has its list. If you aren't on the A-list, you're not one of the pretty people, we're told. Look at all the magazines. I mean, ladies, I, I, I don't know how y'all deal with it, with all the magazines you're competing with. Well, you're supposed to look like this. You know, now, of course, now they start to come up with these guys' magazines, and I did used to look like that, but it's, it's I've quit trying so much now. But anyway, those lists that, that, that you're on of the, all the special people, if you will, Hollywood tells us what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to act. Now, some people who call themselves Christians say that those two lists are really already established again. And if you're not on one list, then you're not going to heaven because it's just certain people get to go. I don't find that in my Bible anywhere. God tells me he died for all of us, all of us, each one. All I know is that verse 15 says he died for all. I'm not smart enough to know who's clean ones, the chosen ones. So I'm committed to sharing Christ with every person we come in contact with because we don't know. When you look at people from heaven's perspective, instead of the worldly standard standpoint, you see every woman, every boy, every girl, every man as someone to whom Jesus died for. In 1985, Phil McHugh wrote a song called Heaven's Eyes, which was recorded by Sandy Patty. Listen to this song, this, this chorus, and we'll be almost through this morning. Sandy Patty sang this song. It was written in 1985 by Phil McHugh. In heaven's eyes, there are no losers. In heaven's eyes, no hopeless cause. Only people like you with feelings like me amazed by the grace we can find in heaven's eyes. Isn't that beautiful? Let's close out with this. I have a new attitude toward others. Yes, our attitude ought to change. All of a sudden, we begin to see people differently. We begin to love people. We don't see color. We don't see differences. We see people come together for one purpose. And oh, what a difference that makes. I know I've shared this story with some of you, but I'm a, I, I just got to share it this morning. When we, were, when we left the church we were at back in 2014, they gave us a going away party and so forth, and they asked, where are we going? And I told them we was going to a town in Arkansas. I won't mention it because some of you may be from there. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it was a uh, First Baptist church, nice church, good-sized church. I mean, they were running about 250. They'd, ask us, they'd already asked us, would you come and give a call? And we were, yeah, well, no doubt. We told the people where we was leaving, said, we're going to this church. 
all night long. We got home that night, and it, something just bothered me. I just couldn't get rest. I mean, I just stayed away. What's going on? I, I don't get this. And that night, the next morning, I got up, and I said, I'm going to call the state office and find out something about this church because something just don't fit with me. And I called him. This guy called me back, I believe it was. I said, I just need to ask. He had, he had known this church and so forth. And I said, I just need to ask you. So they've asked us to come and give a call, but said, I just I can't get something arrested about it. And I'll never forget, he said, he sort of laughed. He said, well, let me ask you something. What would you expect to do at this church? I thought, that's a dumb question. <laughs> I mean, what do you think I expect to do? And I said, well, I'd hope to reach the community. It wasn't a large community. It was, I think, about 10,000, if I remember right. And he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, they wouldn't want that there. I said, what do you mean they wouldn't want that there? I mean, every church wants to grow, don't they? And here's what he said. So that community is about 50-50, black and white. And said so they've asked black people not to come to church at their church. I was, I was dumbfounded. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> and anyway, to make a long story short, I began to think about that. And I said, well, I guess it's no point because I'm fixing to scratch my name off the list. I can't do that. And I, this was in 2014. It wasn't 100 years ago. This is 2014, three years ago. And he said that they had asked even, in fact, he even went as far as saying when a couple or somebody would visit, they would ask them not to come back. That's a Southern Baptist church, folks. One of our churches. And that's a disgrace to God. I'm sorry. About two days later, maybe three days, I don't remember exactly now, but Dave Titus called me. He was the chairman of the committee. He called me, and we'd talked before, but this had been a month or so, and we'd talked a couple of times, but I thought, well, this is not going anywhere. He called and said, well, we want to know if you'd be interested in Come and look in our church. I said, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm out of a job. I can't have anything else to do. So I quit the one I was at, and now I can't go to this other one. So I guess might as well. I'll never forget the first day we walked, Sunday morning, we walked in this building. It was almost God-like shit said, you know something? Here's what you thought you wanted, but here's what it ought to look like. I guess we've got about every nationality I can think of in this, building, in this church family. And you know the best part of it? That's the beauty of it. That's what's beautiful about it. God doesn't look at our skin, our education, or our wealth. God looks at our heart. And, folks, we need to be a loving church. I've had more fun at this church than any church in my life. Well, maybe if we could get rid of a few people, but that's... I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But what I'm saying to you this morning is, as we close real quickly... Verse 17 again says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Those two words, in Christ, I believe are two of the most important words in the Bible. Because once you're in Christ, you're my brother or sister. It doesn't matter what you have, what you don't have, what you look like. That's irrelevant. What matters are, are you in Christ? And folks, as we close this morning... That's the thrust of this message. Are you a Christian? Let me ask you. Maybe a better way to put it. Are you in Christ? If you are, your attitudes will change. You'll be more inclined to 
serve and do things. Yes, we need people to serve. Absolutely. We need people to do everything this church does. Are we willing to do that? Are we? Are you in Christ? Then you're a new creation. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us as we come to the close of the service. We just thank you for the, this church and what it means to us, and each and every one. And, Lord, we thank you that we do have a, a church that loves people. It doesn't matter where they come from, what they look like, or anything else. What matters are, if they don't know Christ, that we'll try to introduce them. Lord, thank you for this church and what it stands for. We just ask that you would just, Lord, excite us, that we would see that God's still doing a work, that, Lord, we can be what you want us to be. We'll be the church that you desire us to be, not what we want. We may never be a thousand strong, but we can be the best church we can be. And, Lord, I just ask you to put on our hearts, every one of us, a desire to pray, to serve, to whatever it takes to make this church what you want us to be. Lord, if we're in Christ, we'll glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.